Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. And there are some things that I have heavy upon my heart that I would like to get out this morning, and we may go in different directions, I don't know, but I've been known to preach splatter barrels before, so, you know, I'm just going to believe that the Spirit of God will take what's being said and and cause it to be digested in their people's lives and assimilated in such a way that everybody that has needs, those needs will be met. Amen? Hallelujah. That's what the Spirit of God is all about. 1 John chapter 4. And we're going to look at verse 18. I'll probably look at it from the Amplified Bible. And, you know, when we're ready, we'll get to that. But for a moment, I'd like to make some other comments. But before we do any of it all, let's, any of it, let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your holy written word. We thank you that we can trust our lives to its provisions. We look to you to cause our spirits to become alive, filled with and full of your life. As the word, dear Father God, goes forth and is received. We look to you to teach and lead and guide us by your spirit and all the truth. That we may walk as doers of the word, not hearers only. I personally thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost to proclaim the truth of the word. In the power of the spirit. So that our faith would stand in the power of the living God and not in men's wisdom. We'll give you glory and honor for all that's accomplished within our midst in Jesus' name. Amen. The life of faith is not something that's magical, and I think we should know that by now. The life of faith is not a struggle between God and man. It's not us trying to get God to do whatever we want Him to do whenever we want Him to do it. If that's the concept that we have of the life of faith, then it's wrong. Our perception is wrong. That's not what it's all about. We don't have any magical wands or magical formulas that we can use to manipulate God. We just can't do that. But also, it should not be a struggle between God and man. It should be as natural as breathing. Well, some might say, well, then why is it so hard? Because, you see, the life of faith is developing an intimate, personal relationship with God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ as we study the Word and allow it to be quickened by the Spirit of God. And too often what I see happening is that many... Instead of building or developing their own personal relationship with God in an intimate way, they're living by others' faith. The faith lives of others. In other words, they're doing things that others do because it worked for them. They're acting certain ways, saying certain things, doing certain things that others have done. 
And in so doing, what they're attempting to do is to live by someone else's state. And God doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to develop our own personal life of faith. This is a personal message. We have a personal Savior. We will stand before the judgment seat of Christ personally for ourselves. I thank God for every ministry gift. I thank God for all the blessed truth that we have learned and have received, the things that we have heard by others who have served God. But beloved, no matter what we have heard, no matter what truths we have received, unless we make those truths and the things that we have heard realities in our own lives. We're just barring someone else's experience with God. And trying to live by someone else's experience in God. I know that we live in a time right now where people enjoy microwave everything. Get rich quick. Everything as fast as possible, as quick as possible. A shortcut to anything. Show it to me, I'll take it. But you see, beloved, there is no shortcut when it comes to developing an intimate relationship with God. There are no shortcuts. And the things of God... That need to be learned and developed cannot be just imparted to somebody else. Like, in, like you can impart to them money if you want to help them in their time of need. We can't just reach in our spirits and pull something out and give it to someone else and say, Here, live by this. But if someone has a financial need of $20 to put gas in their car, it will take every bit of $20 today to put gas in your car to get you anywhere. Then you can reach in your pocket and pull out the $20 and say, Here, brother, here, sister, this will help meet your need. And it will. But when it comes to believing God, when it comes to experiencing reality with God and really knowing God, we can't reach inside our own hearts and pull something out of our spiritual pocket, so to speak, and say, Here, take this and live by it. But unconsciously, in the back of the mind, I believe many feel that that's true. Just turn on a radio, turn on a television, turn on a tape, and automatically I'm going to live that same kind of life that this other person is living. It doesn't work that way. We have got to do something for ourselves in order to have strong faith lives. And that's why I feel many have turned away from the message of faith. Because instead of having something that belongs to them, Instead of digging deep into the Word of God for themselves to establish themselves in the Word and really build a meaningful relationship with God for themselves, they are hearing all these other things that others have done. And as wonderful as they are, and as beautiful as they are, beloved, it's not our experience in God. It's someone else's. We can't just try to do what someone else is doing and make it our own. If we're going to have the same experiences in God, 
If we're going to have the same intimacy with God and the same type of fellowship with God and the same type of miracle working power that others have had with God, we are going to have to go down the same road they went. We're going to have to take the same steps that they took. We're going to have to do the same things that they did. And you know what? None of them really is our example. Jesus is our example. He said, if you want reality with God the Father, look to me. If you want to have a strong life of faith, look to me. If you want to know what love is all about, look to me. If you want reality, look to me. I am the reality. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. If you want to enjoy a life that is full, a life that is abundant, a life that is filled with good things, a life that is filled with joy and peace, then look to me. I'll give you peace that the world cannot give you. I'll give you joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. Look to me. You'll find rest unto your souls. Learn of me. I'm the example. And thank God we can follow those who through faith and patience inherited the promise. But remember, they've inherited the promise because they're acting upon the principles that Jesus taught. They're doing the things that Jesus did. And that's why they're experiencing the blessings and the benefits. Now, I don't say this to be negative. I'm saying this to, to, to be positive. I just want us to be aware of the fact that too often many get their relationship with God off the radio. Many have their time of intimacy with God off the television. A radio preacher, a television preacher, which is fine to a certain extent. But you don't build your personal relationship with God that way. You never experience reality with God that way. And you'll never develop a strong life of faith that way. Let me illustrate. David. Everybody wants to have the same type of relationship with God that David had. Everybody wants to have manifested in their lives the same power that David had. When he went out and killed the lion. And when he went out and killed the bear. When he went out and, and killed Goliath. How God worked with him and the power of God was so manifest that he can absolutely destroy a lion and a bear with his two hands. Boy, that sounds wonderful. What an experience. That's what I want. But we want it by pushing a button. If it takes any kind of effort whatsoever, then it's like, who wants any part of that? If we can just stick something in a microwave, get it out in about 30 seconds, I'll take it. If it takes any longer than that, then I don't want it. In other words, I'm not willing to put forth the effort and the energy and the work that, re that is required. But let me say something here about David. All that David did was a result of his intimacy with God Almighty. The power that was manifested was a result of him sitting, lying down under the stars, looking to heaven, knowing his God, and learning of his love. Also, another thought. What he did was an unconscious act of faith born out of love. Faith works by what? Faith is energized by what? By love. And too often we just look at the faith factor and say, well, did he say the right words? And he did say the right words. Did he do the right thing? He did do the right thing. But what was it based on? What was it born out of? It was love. Have you ever considered the fact that David, being a shepherd, watching the sheep, held his position in high esteem, took it serious, and he was not a hireling. 
he was a true shepherd. And that means he knew God and loved God, but he also loved the sheep. And he knew it was his responsibility to provide protection and care for the sheep. A hireling, when the lion came, would have climbed up a tree somewhere and said, Go ahead and have your lamb chop supper. A hireling, if a bear came for the same type of meal, same thing. Climb up a tree somewhere. Just get yourself protected. Be safe. But David was a true shepherd. David loved the sheep. David was a man of integrity. David knew his responsibility. David was sincere. David knew his God. David knew what his God would do. He was not trying to come up with a formula. He was acting out of impulse, out of his spirit, but it was all based on his relationship with God and also his love for the sheep. He knew that God was on his side. He knew what his God would do. He did not want to see this tragedy happen as far as he was concerned. He was responsible. Therefore, when the lion came, he felt it was his responsibility to do what he did. Have you ever seen a lion? Have you ever been up close to a lion? People, when they go hunting lions, they use big guns. Lions are humongous. I'm telling you, they'll rip a man apart like that. But with his own two hands, empowered by the Spirit of God, without fear. I'm going to say that again. Without fear. David was fearless. He was motivated by love. And out of that love that he had, his faith came forth. He had no fear for his life because his God was on his side. And therefore, he went out fearless, acting in faith. How do you teach someone to go attack a lion like that? Show me how to live the life of faith. Beloved, you just can't do it. You just can't do it. We can write it down and say, this is principle one, this is principle two, this is principle three, this is principle four. And say, this is, these are the things that we are supposed to be doing. But when the time comes that a situation arises, what determines what we have in the heart? The way we act. David acted a certain way that you can't copy and I can't copy unless I have within me the same thing he had within him. Because for you to go out there and attack that lion the way David did meant you will die. Unless you personally knew your God the way he knew his God. And you know what else? Secondly, and you truly loved as he truly loved. It was not a selfish act. It was not a self-willed act. It was an unconscious act of faith. Someone who knew God in such a way... That just as he had to protect the sheep, God had to protect him. Same thing when the bear came along. Same thing when Goliath came along. We can read through all that. We can point out the, the, the faith factor. We can say, see, he said the right words. Yes. But the words that he said were of the abundance of his heart. 
For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. One cannot copy someone else and say, well, this is what David said, so this is what I will do. I will say the same words, I will get the same results. No, a thousand times no. Faith is not that. The life of faith is putting good things into us, putting the good Word of God into us, yes. But it's more than that. It's allowing the Spirit of God to make those words a living thing, so real to us. That it controls our actions. It controls our words. The things that we do are unconscious. But they're unconscious acts of faith based on a deep personal relationship that we have with God. The three Hebrew children in the burning fiery furnace. I mean, can you imagine someone trying to do what they did by just walking up to the king and just saying, I'm going to make the right confession? Hmm. You better have more than just the right confession when you stand in the face of the king when he says, turn up the heat about ten times higher. Certainly we can make the right confession. We can say the right thing. But beloved, what's behind that? What's giving birth to those words? It's out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. They did not discuss what they should say. They were not controlled by any type of fear other than the fear that they had for God. They had such an understanding of the presence of God, of the power of God, of the might of God, of the holiness of God, of the holy awe of God. They were so fearful in that sense of God that that holy reverential fear served as a motivating force that controlled their actions morally, spiritually, In all the things that they did. See, that is what we need today. We try to tell people to do the right thing or don't do that thing. And I think what we often do is forget about the underlying principles. To say the right thing, one must be filled with the right thing. Full of the right thing. To not do something, one must be filled with something else. A holy desire to please God. A holy desire to, to serve Him and to do the right thing, the thing that pleases Him in His sight. And then, the thing that we know to be wrong will not be done. Something has to be put within a person, inside the heart. And I really believe We need to have more of the fear of God in the day in which we live. Because those three children, their their actions were based on their love for God. They loved Him so much and they had such fear, reverential fear, reverential godly fear in their lives. They feared Him more than the King. They feared Him and His righteous judgment more than anything else. They refused to bow their knees. 
They refused to give in to the pressure of circumstances. Not because someone told them to make the right confession or someone told them to do the right thing. What they did, their actions were born out of a sense of, of faithfulness and love and fear, holy fear, godly reverential fear that they had for God. I'll tell you, I, I had to turn here. Hold your place there because I believe this scripture is essential to all of us. Hold, put, put a marker over there in First John. And before we get to that, look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. These children had the reverential fear of God that served as a controlling motive of their lives. They feared Him so much that they had a dread, a godly reverential fear of displeasing him. They weren't concerned about pleasing the king. They were concerned about displeasing God. In Philippians 2.12, Therefore, my dear ones, as you have always obeyed my suggestions, so now not only with enthusiasm you would show in my presence, but much more because I am absent, work out, cultivate, Carry out to the goal and fully complete your own salvation with reverence and awe and trembling, self-distrust, that is with serious caution, tenderness of conscience, watchfulness against temptation, timidly shrinking from whatever might offend God and discredit the name of Christ. This word that's used here, godly reverential fear. It means something that exists inside the heart that controls the things that we do, that controls the things that we say, that controls the way we act in situations. And once again, how do you impart that to a person so that when they encounter a situation, they will act as the David act? They will act as the three Hebrew children acted. How can you do that? Well, if we can bottle that, be something, wouldn't it? I mean, how many times have you said, I know what so-and-so should be doing. It might be your child. I know what my child should be doing. And if I can just create the desire within them to do it, that would be the answer or the solution to the problem. And so what we have to end up doing is restrict them from doing this. Don't do this and don't do that and don't do this and don't do that and don't do this and don't do that. But yet what is lacking is the holy desire to serve God, to know God, to fear God. Because if they had that, then they wouldn't do the other. Is that clear? That's personal holiness. When our desires, we have from within our holy desires... Of our heart yearn towards pleasing God. It's when one fears God with such a holy dread of displeasing Him that that thing on the inside, which is the beginning of wisdom, controls His what? His actions, His words, and everything else that He does with His life. 
So here he says to all of us, we've got to work out our own salvation to bring it, to cultivate it, to bring it to full maturity. How do we do it? We do it with fear. Do you see the importance of godly reverential fear? And what trembling? And beloved, believe me, in the day in which we live, we need a little bit more of that. I think we need a lot more of that. But how do you impart that to someone? How do you impart that to someone? But try to get people just to act a certain way by saying the right thing or doing the right thing apart from having that godly reverential fear and apart from really knowing God is wrong. Because what is going to happen in the end is this. They're going to try to act on someone else's experience in God. And when they chase the lion or go after the bear or after a Goliath, then they're going to get hurt. So I want to more or less bring us back to a place of understanding where we realize that in order for us to help people, we've got to first and foremost deal with the inner man. Deal with their hearts. Deal with the man on the inside. Because very often you'll find out that if you can get their heart turned in the right direction, it's a whole lot easier to teach them and instruct them in the things of God. Out of that holy reverential fear, those people will begin to speak and say the right things. Like I said, those three Hebrew children were not weighing their words to determine whether or not they were faith-filled words or not. What they did was they spoke out of the abundance in their heart and said, We'll not serve you. We'll not bow down to you. We'll not bow down to your image. We'll not bow down to anything. And no matter what you want to do, the God that we serve, He's able and willing to deliver us out of your hand. But all that was spoken out of a heart that knew God. They knew it on the inside. How do we get anyone to that place, beloved? Like I said, if we can bottle that, well, we'd be, we'd be, you know, we'd be all right. It's an individual thing. We are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, go on back to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18. Again, I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. By putting the Word of God into our spirits, we know faith comes. So faith comes for whatever we need from God as we put the Word of God on that subject into our spirits. But that's not all of it. That's not all of it. I want you to see something here I think that sometimes we overlook. In 1 John chapter 4, did you know that if you have fear inside the heart, it will destroy faith? How many of you know that fear is a destructive force that works against faith? And as long as there is fear there inside the heart, you can say all the right words. I can say all the right words that I want to say, but there's no harmony between my heart and my mouth. Do you understand that? See, that's why we end up having all kinds of emotional upheaval. We don't get ourselves in sync. We don't get ourselves in harmony with the Word of God, both in spirit and soul. And if we don't do that, once again, we are acting apart from the source of all power. We're speaking out the right thing. We're saying the right thing. And sometimes we're putting up a spiritual facade that's not based on our experience with God, in God. Can you imagine what would have happened to those three Hebrew children, can you imagine 
what they would have been. I mean, Chris, if all they had was the right words. Because someone said, just say this or just say that. They knew God from within and they said what they said because of their experience in God. And that's why they were delivered from the burning fiery furnace. Also, is it not natural? Is it not human to be afraid of a burning fiery furnace? Is it not? Absolutely. Then how is it that they had no fear of it? They faced it boldly, fearlessly. Knowing that their God would deliver them. There, were no, there was no and, ifs, buts about it. They knew their God would deliver them if they were cast into the midst of it. How does one arrive at that kind of faith? How does one get to that place? Obviously, it's born out of an intimate relationship with God. Knowing God and serving Him and doing His will in such a way that you're speaking out of your experience with God because you know Him so well. You're not listening to what someone else said down the road or some tape you listen to or some television preacher or some radio preacher. What you're doing is you're saying, I know God. I know Him personally. I know Him intimately. And this is what I Say, based on my experience in God. That's what they did. How is it they had no fear? Well, let's look at the Scripture. 1 John chapter 4. Not only must we get the Word into our lives, the Word into our hearts to produce faith. You ready for this? To have a strong life of faith, we also must get the fear out of our lives. Because when there's no fear, there's what? Faith. First John chapter 4 and verse 18. There is no fear in love. Dread does not exist. But full-grown, complete, perfect loves, love turns fear out of the doors and expels every trace of terror. And so he who is afraid has not reached the full maturity of love is not yet grown into love's complete perfection. So the one who still has fear or entertains fear in the heart is one who has not been perfected in love. Notice it's not just getting the word regarding sickness, the word regarding all these different things in our lives. That's putting the word of faith in, but it's also ridding our spirit lives of all fear. By being perfected in God's love. David knew how much God loved him. David knew how God was with him. David was confident in his relationship with God. Therefore, he could boldly act the way he acted. And his actions were born out of the love manifested between himself and God. These three children did the same thing. They knew their God. They worshipped Him daily. They loved Him. They stood upon His Word. They stood up for what they believed. 
They acted upon the right principles. They served Him. They did their part. As a result, when the time of testing came, when the time of trial came, when the fire of temptation came their way, they quenched it with the shield of faith. And God met them. It was all born out of their intimate knowledge of God and relationship with Him. Knowing Him in a deep personal way. And as a result, of course, they were delivered and set free. The way, beloved, we get fear out of our lives is by being perfected in love. Because as long as we have a lot of fear, then God's love has not been perfected in us. God's love for us. Perfect love will cast out all fear. And when there is no fear, there is nothing but faith in a person's life. We won't fear that thing. You won't fear the lion. You won't fear the bear. You won't fear the giant because you will know that your God is with you, for you, in you, and working on your behalf. You won't fear the fiery furnace. Why? Because you'll know the fire has no power over you because God is bigger than fire. So the fear was gone. Do you understand this? Do you see how the fear was gone and therefore they acted? Can you imagine them saying at that time of, of trouble and adversity, hold on, let me put on the tape. What did he say again? Let's, go back, let's back that up and find out what he said about a situation like this. You're in a whole heap of hot trouble. Because, see, there's no time for that. If he said it and it spoke to your heart, get it inside your spirit as quickly as you can and make it yours. If you don't make it yours, beloved, and you're acting on somebody else's experience in God, it's not going to do you any good. It's not going to do me any good. That's why I said when I went down to Ramah, beloved, I was not acting on somebody else's faith. And I don't say that in a braggadocious way. I'm telling you, I saw the need to know God. When we give our testimony how my wife was healed and daughter was healed and all these different things, I'm not borrowing someone else's experience in God. No, this is something that we developed that I, you know, my wife and I both developed because of knowing God and His will for our lives and His love for us as human beings. And that's why I say that today we've got so many things at our fingertips, at our disposal to use, that what's happening is people are having a mechanical relationship with God. And then when life storms come, beating upon the door of our house, our home, our spiritual lives, what happens? Let's go back upon our tape. Let's put our program. What do we turn to? We turn to all the mechanics of it. No, there's coming a time that there won't be time to do that, beloved. We've got to know God intimately. We've got to know Him personally. And then, born out of that knowledge, out of that relationship, out of that love, comes a faith-filled life that says, My God is with me. My God is for me. My God is in me. I will not be defeated. I will not be destroyed. Not based on somebody else. It's based on my relationship with God Almighty. In Psalms 138 and verse 8, I want you to turn there with me. Because I don't want you to have my experience. I want it to be your experience. I can tell you to say this, but you know what? It won't do us, none of us, any good unless we see the truth of it for ourselves and say, you know what? I'm going to apply that to my own life. In Psalms 138 and verse 8, 
it says, and I'm reading from the Amplified, The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy and loving kindness, O Lord, endure forever. Forsake not the works of your own hands. The first part of that verse is, The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. The Lord perfecteth that which concerns me. Love concerns us. Did you know that? He that feareth is not made perfect in what? In love. You know, a primary thing of interest in our lives should be this. I need to be perfected in the love of God. We need that. We all need that. That concerns our lives. Love concerns our life. Love is what life is all about. The, the heart of the man, the life of the man is the heart. We know that. That heart stops beating, there is no life. But the life of the heart is love. Love concerns every single one of us. Love gives us our reason for being. Love gives us our eternal destiny. It's because God loves us. Love concerns every single one of our lives. God doesn't just love David. God didn't just love the three Hebrew children. God loves every one of us equally and gives us all the same opportunity to develop that kind of intimacy with Him so that born out of it, we can have a strong life of faith. It's not putting up a facade once again. It is saying what I know to be true because I know Him in whom I believed. I know Him. I'm not copying, parroting, mimicking someone else. This is what I know to be true. Say it with me. My God will perfect that which concerns me. Love concerns me. Thank you, Father, for perfecting your love in my life. Now listen. People can have a fear of close places. They can have a fear of rejection. They can have a fear of failure, a fear of this, a fear of sickness, a fear of that, a fear of death, a fear of all these different things. And as long as that prevailing fear exists there within the heart, faith is not ruling the spirit life. And the reason why faith isn't is because love has not been perfected within the heart. When we are perfected in love, faith is the result. Faith is confident trust in a living God that we know personally that loves us so much, He's right there to help us in any time of our need. And when we know that, when we develop in that, that love that He has for us, when you're in that closed place, it won't matter. Because He that loves me is with me. And He will never leave me nor forsake me. Therefore, I fear not. We have fear of rejection. Although we'll all be rejected... When a person knows God and loves God, that fear will diminish and wane until it's finally gone. Because the only one I want to please anyhow, and the only one I want to accept me anyhow, is God Almighty. And as long as He accepts me, I know that He loves me. And what is rejection? You're saying that people just don't love me. I'm rejected of men. That's what Jesus was saying. I'm rejected of men. They don't really love me. Everybody wants to be loved, accepted by men. And if that fear still exists... We've got to get rid of how love. We're not made perfect in love yet. And if we'll just go through all these different things and get rid of fear, all these different fears by really knowing God and His position and place within our lives, then as a result, faith will rise up within the heart. Faith 
will put us over. It'll be an unconscious acting on what we know that God who loves us will do for us in any given time of need. Now, let me illustrate that. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, here's a person who has fear that his needs will not be met in life. A person is afraid. And if you think about this, beloved, how many do you know that go through life always afraid they're not going to be able to meet their obligations? Anyone know someone like that? Raise your hand if you know someone like that. They're afraid, fearful of the fact that they're going to fail when it comes to this area of their lives. You know, are we going to be able to pay our bills? We're going to have our needs. All these are, many are like that. I realize that. Okay? Look at verse 25. Matthew 6, 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Worry, anxiety, fear, all these emotional forces working together. Why? Because they didn't know they're much better than the birds of the air. It's not just what can I believe God for, beloved. It's not can I say the right words and believe the right way to get God to do something for me. That's not what it's about. I know that God loves me more than the birds of the air. I know that God loves me so much that whatever I have need of, all I've got to do is look to Him and say, Father, I have need of these things. I'm seeking your kingdom. I'm seeking your righteousness. I have need of these things. As a father, I know you love me and you'll not allow me to be without. See, that's love. You know how much your father loves you and as a result, you rest in what? Faith. Confident hope. Knowing. I'm, I'm trusting my God, my father. Because he is my father. The one who provides for me the things I need to get by in life. Do you see that? That's what faith is. And you say those words not because someone said, well, now just believe you receive. That's not it. You say, I believe I receive. Why? Based on the fact that your father who loves you told you that if you need it, I'll provide it. Just ask me. Just like you would ask your earthly father. So as you read to this, you find out he says, oh, ye of little faith. You're concerned about where your food's coming from, where your water's coming from, and where your clothing and shelter are coming from. You're worried about that, and you don't know that I have made provisions for the birds in the air. I have made provisions for the lily of the field. And you're a whole lot more than them. You're worth a whole lot more than them. Matter of fact, I still loved you. I sent my only begotten son to die for you, and with him, how shall I not freely give you all things? See, it's a love factor, beloved. Not knowing how much God loves the individual. And why? Because we've got too many tapes going on. We've got too many radios going on. And people not sitting there saying, Father God, unfold your love to my spirit. I'm talking about sitting somewhere. Instead of listening to that hour tape or half hour tape. I'm talking about sitting, sitting there in a room for an hour and just saying, Father, unveil your love to me. Unveil your love to my spirit. 
I want it to be real. I share with you how I was sitting at Rainbow Mountain Training Center when I was there that one year. And I sat there in the auditorium as Brother Hagin was teaching on growing up spiritually. And he referred to a scripture in John's Gospel that said, For the Father himself loveth you. And as I sat there in that auditorium with all these people, 1,100 people, I just lost sight of all the people that were around me. And I was lifted up to a higher plane of spiritual awareness. Now, I was conscious of the fact that there were people around me, but they got lost like in a cloud. And I was just there in a place where I was like elevated. And in that place, I just began to repeat these words. Father, you really love me. Father, you really love me. Father, you really love me. I lost sight. I'll tell you what. I didn't know what Brother Hagin taught the whole entire 45 minutes that he taught. You say, my goodness, there you are in, that, in the presence of Brother Hagin is teaching and you didn't hear a thing he said. I said, you know what? I heard one thing my father said. And you know what it did to my spirit? I'll tell you what. It made me realize that my father, God, really cares about me and really loves me. In so much that no matter what it is that I had need of in life, that he would provide that very thing because of his love for me. I'm saying that spiritual truths have got to become realities in our lives through proper meditation and sitting in the presence of God. That's what I'm saying. You can't pick up someone's tape and just listen to it and, and just say, well, I, I glean light from that. I've heard that. You know, I, I know it. I've, I've stored it in, you know, in my bank storehouse of knowledge and, and all that. And there it is. That's not the end of it all. It has got to become a living reality within us. And at that point, I guarantee you, as I said, I had an overwhelming consciousness of God's personal love for me. How else can I explain it? I can't give that to somebody else. I can't reach in my spiritual pocket and pull out a $20 you know, love bill and just say, here, here's $20 worth of God's love. You can't do that. But you try to teach it and say, beloved, look, this is how it is. How can you communicate that? Like I said, if, if we can corner the market on that, we'd be all right, wouldn't we? Be okay. But you can't. That's why so many give up on the life of faith. Because, you see, they're not willing to take the time to do that. They hear of all these wonderful things that have happened. Beloved, I like to look and investigate people's lives beforehand. I read after E.W. Kenyon, you marveled at all the wonderful experiences in God. You know what he said? I've laid hands on people, and people have had body parts surgically removed, and they've been recreated there as I laid hands on them. And, you, you know, most people, that's where they're at. They hear that and all the excitement of that and, the, and the, you know, the, the glory of all that. And they focus only on that. Then here, another thing the man said about his own personal trials and experiences. He said, there was a time I couldn't even make my lips make the right confession. He said, there was a time I knew confession worked. I knew how to make it work for my life, but I could not do it. I could not do it. He says, I was at a place I just couldn't, I couldn't even do it. Ready to give up. He said, it would have been better for me to go home, be with Jesus, than to stay alive on the earth. Now think about that. But see, he didn't stay in that place. He continued and continued and persevered and persevered and persevered until all that he had learned here became reality here, inside, on the inside. And then those things began to occur. So do you see that? He could have given up just like anybody else. He could have just thrown the whole thing aside, just said, forget it. Why is it we let that go in this ear and out the other ear and don't realize? Smith Wigglesworth? Oh, yeah. And all we, what do we know about Smith? 23 raised from the dead. Good job, Smith. Right? What about Smith locked his wife out of the house? Wouldn't let her in. Wasn't filled with the Holy Ghost. Wasn't serving God and didn't care. 
and told her, you keep going to church like a fanatic. You're not coming in. Locked her out of the house. And there she was leaning against the door in the morning time when he came down, opened up the door and said, hi, honey, I love you. Hmm. He couldn't believe it. What about when this man didn't know whether the Holy Ghost was the Holy Ghost for anybody or anything? Didn't know about the Holy Ghost. Went to Tarian meetings finally when he got his head on straight. Oh, we didn't look over those years, do we? No, Smith was always raising the dead. No, Smith wasn't. Smith didn't know God. Was a plumber that didn't know God. And finally he got to a place, now listen to me carefully, he finally got to a place when he got filled with the Holy Ghost, he said, now God... I'm giving myself to you. I want you to burn every ounce of selfishness out of me. Remove it from my life. See, it's not that these things don't work, beloved, but there's a price to pay. It's not that these things are untrue. They're true, beloved, but it can't be mechanical anymore. We have got to know that we have got to know God. And we've got to take the time that is necessary for God to do that work in us. You say, but I don't know what time. We do have the time, beloved. It's being channeled in other directions. Like I'm saying, it's easier to listen to that tape for an hour, or it's easier to put on the television and listen to some preacher preach. Beloved, I'm not knocking any of that. I'm saying, thank God that you can get some information. But information is not enough. Oh, those times that we have to get on our faces before God and say, go ahead and burn it out of my life. Manifest a spirit of holiness, that burning spirit, that fire that will burn up the chaff in my life and drive it far from me. You say, how do you create those desires within a person? And if it's your child or something like that, because I know that that's, that's an area of emotional upheaval, you know, and it's so hard because we can't separate ourselves from the problem. I'm going to tell you something, beloved. If you can't get your, your child to that place, you can't do it by restricting, restricting, restricting forever. Because even though you restrict and they don't do. You ready for this? So they don't listen to that thing you don't want them to listen to. So they don't do that thing you don't want to. What's in them? In most cases, a lot of cases, rebellion. We still haven't solved the problem because we haven't put anything in them yet. You see, that's the problem. It's creating holy desires within their hearts, within their lives. Now they know God and they don't want. They have a holy fear of God. And that controls their lives, their motives, their attitudes, the things that they do with their lives. Do you see that? Now how do we do that? As parents, that's where we really, really got to get away from the mechanics of it all and get on our faces before God. If you've got to manifest an angel. Do you see that point? Nothing can replace that. There's no substitute for that. Oh, we're the channel that God then begins to flow through. He touches by His Spirit. Because we would not let go. Because you know He loves you. And He loves your child. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. I'll tell you, real quick. I, I, just, I, want, I want to get to these scriptures here. Isaiah 43.1 and Isaiah 41.10. How do we get fear out? How do we get from sitting before these scriptures? If we'll sit before these scriptures, beloved, and meditate them. And what I mean by this is, again, putting some things first in our lives and, and giving attention and time to these different things. And, but being specific, I, I want fear out of my life. You want fear out of your life? Come on, in all honesty, don't you want your fears to wane? Because when your fears wane, beloved, your faith grows. We know what the Word of God says, but now it's a matter of what? 
It's not a matter of knowledge. We know what he says about a lot of different things. It's a matter of reality. That's what it's a matter of. Experience. It's a matter of it being alive in us now. Real. Not a spiritual facade. But something that's real substance to it. I know God. Like David knew God. I'll slay the lion and the bear. And the giants that come my way. I know God. Like Joshua. The walls will come down. We know our God. Like the three children. He will deliver us. He's able. And He will. And we will be free. Confidence. Isaiah 43 and verse 1. But now thus saith the Lord God that created thee, sit before the presence of the Almighty and say, Father God, you have created me. O Jacob, and that had formed thee, O Israel, fear not. Notice, fear not. Fear not. For I have redeemed thee. The word redeemed there means He has purchased us by paying a ransom price. And whenever you find that one has been redeemed by the price being paid, a ransom being paid, there's something connected with that. See, a person can be free without a price being paid. But if a price has been paid, then it includes deliverance from danger. And it includes protection. So when God says, there's no need to fear, I will protect you and deliver you from danger. That's what the three Hebrew children knew. That's what David knew. Do you see that? My God that loves me has redeemed me. He has purchased me. I belong to Him, so my heart need not fear. Because along with it comes deliverance and protection from danger. The second part of that. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. We belong to him. We're his kids. We're his people. Just like our children. Will we provide for our own? Yes, we will. They're called by our name. They belong to me. Thank God I know my children. I know their names. They know they can depend on me. They know they can trust me. They know I'll provide for them. They know I'll protect them in the time of danger. When thou passest through the fire, or through the waters, rather. Notice, I will be with thee. In other words, when the troubled waters of human life are at high tide, and it seems as though you're going to go under, what do we do? Do we put on the tape? Do we put on the radio? What do we do? Oh, beloved, we need to get back in the walking in old past. Instead of doing all that, getting out the Bible, the good book, the Word of God, opening up before the presence of the living God and say, Father God, you said I need not fear. I need not lose courage. I need not be dismayed. I need not be overcome. You told me that when the waters of life are troubling me, arising at high tide, I need not fear because you. That's what God wants to hear. You are with me. He says, they'll not overflow you. You see why the heart need not fear? Because you know the outcome. The waters aren't overflowing me. Now, are you saying that because you listened to a tape and brother so-and-so said to say that? If you are, you're in a heap of trouble. But I'll tell you what. If it's because you sat down and meditated these scriptures and you allowed the Holy Ghost time to quicken those words inside you, you need not fear. 
Because when the water's up to here, the fear comes because if it goes up to here, you can't breathe anymore. He said the waters will not overflow thee, didn't he? So I need not fear. And it's because I know him. And then, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. That's the three Hebrew children in a nutshell. And they knew that when they walked through the fire, they would not be burned. And when we face the fire trials and temptations that life has to throw our way, the fiery missiles that come our way, it's the, the shield of faith that quenches every fiery dart of the wicked. And you know what? That shield of faith is not ours. That shield of faith is the armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. It's His shield. He's given it to us to use. It's our faith in Him, His power, His ability and strength. I'll not be overcome. My life is not being motivated by any fears that I have. It's being motivated by God's love for me and my love for Him and the fear that I have of displeasing Him. And then finally, real quick, we'll close it right here. Isaiah 41, it's close by, 41.10. This is how we rid our hearts of fear. In Isaiah 41.10, sit before the presence of the Lord. And notice again, it says, fear thou not. He'll perfect that which concerns me. Your love is in me, and I need not fear, their Father God. And here's why I fear not. You said, I am with thee. Notice His abiding presence. I'm aware of your presence. It guarantees my success. It guarantees my safety. We need to sit in His presence and say, Father God, my heart will not fear because I acknowledge that you are with me. Be not dismayed means don't lose spiritual initiative or courage. It means just because there's sudden fear and just because there's great perplexity, you need not fear. Settle yourself down. Remember God. He said, fear not. Don't be discouraged. Don't lose your initiative. Why? Because I am thy God. We need to hear ourselves say that you are my God. You are my God. Not someone else said. You need to hear yourself say it. You are my God. I will not lose initiative from them because you are my God. And I belong to you. Next, he says, I will strengthen thee. In Philippians 4.13, you have that scripture in the Amplified Bible. It says that He will impart to us the strength that we need. Whatever it is that we need, it's strength that will come. David needed strength that was beyond the natural. He needed supernatural abilities and strength. God says, I will impart to you the supernatural strength, the ability that you need that is supernatural so that you can overcome. I will strengthen thee. And when you look to Him and say, Look, Father God, by the power of the Holy Ghost, strengthen thou me as you said you would. And He will, beloved. But it will still be an unconscious act because you know that God's doing it. And then He goes on and says, I will help thee. And the word help there, you might want to make note of this, it means to assist or to support. It means to supply what is needed to accomplish an end. To supply what is needed to accomplish an end. Whatever it is that is needed to accomplish the end, He says, I will supply that need. When He says, I'll help you, that's what He means. It implies that He'll move toward us to defend us and help us and provide what is necessary to accomplish the end. That's His objective. In Hebrews 13, 6, what does it, 5 and 6, what does it say? I will not fear so that the Lord is my helper. My helper. The Lord is my helper. Therefore, I will not fear what man should do unto me. Okay? That I may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Say it with me, the Lord is my helper. Say it again, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. See, and the only way we know Him as our helper is by getting intimate with Him. And then finally, real quick, we'll close it right here. 
He says he'll uphold us with the right hand of his righteousness. And you will notice that's talking about authority. When God says, I'll uphold you with my right hand, he means he will use all his authority that he has to see to it that you are protected and cared for. He will assist you in battle. He'll be the one that supports you against the enemy. That's exactly what he means there. Now, you ready for this? There are those that have fear of the devil, but here's what we've got to get inside our hearts and minds and get it in us in reality. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, it says that we have overcome devils, demons, evil spirits, and all the powers of the region of the damned. Why? Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Is that just a confession? Is that just some spiritual facade that we put up? We speak these right words? Or do we really know the truth that God, by the power of His right hand, is the inside of us? And no matter what the devil says, what a demon says, what all the imps of hell and all the courts of darkness say, we say no. We've overcome them because greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world. Thank you for listening to our Legacy Teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.